Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live, and tonight we have a very special guest, Brett Donahue from the hit movie Slacks. Brett, how you doing? I'm doing really good. And Brett, really good. How I, you doing? I watched Slacks again this weekend. Have you uh-huh. ever figured out what B2B means? B2B. B2- yeah. That is just stuck in my head. <laughs> it's a mantra. It's a... It's a yeah, a life guideline, you could yeah, say. For CCC, yeah. <laughs> that is just hysterical. I mean, I love the satire in Slacks. It, it mm-hmm. just took it to a whole new level. Are you surprised following the release of Slacks, the uh, following that this movie is amassing uh, with each passing day? Yeah, you know what? It's, 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 uh, I mean, it's nothing but a wonderful thing. The fact that we do this small movie up in Canada, and I mean, to give you a little, uh, you know, background on the Canadian independent film system, it's hard as hell to get films into theaters because all the theaters, you know, spanned out across the country, they're just bringing in all the big Hollywood names. Yeah. Um, so to get a Canadian independent film seen in the first place is 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 one thing, but then for it to translate and find a platform on Shutter and have all these people. Uh, be able to kind of um, get a chance to see it. It's been nothing but nothing but wonderful. Yeah. Would you say your life has changed as this movie? Continues? My life has changed. I uh, <laughs> people are giving me clothes, food, houses. I mean, it's nuts. <laughs> Craig is uh, a very intriguing character. Yeah, uh, you could definitely say uh, he has ambition, if nothing mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you have been in this business for a while. Uh, you know, when things are said and done with Slacks, which I don't think it's ever going to happen, it's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. Are you going to mm-hmm. look back and say that Slacks was your breakout role? Oh, God. Uh, I guess it depends on what comes next. You know, <laughs> uh, if nothing comes next, then I guess not. No, uh, you know what? It's 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 funny because it, it whatever happens, I'll say that it was such a um, it was such a real gift for me to play because you know someone in my casting and and when you're going out for a lot of TV and 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 regular films, I'll say it's like there's always kind of a, a cool realism that's 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 wanted from the producers, from the tone of the show, all of that. So to have this script land on on your desk with uh, this bizarre concept. I mean, when it, when I first read the email with the synopsis, I was like, "This is this is one of the things. Two things. Either it's going to be really cool or batshit fucking crazy and awful." Um, and it was kind of batshit crazy and great. Um, so for me, like uh, going back to what I said about like the typical characters that I that I'm usually approached with. This was um, a real, real breath of fresh air um, where I could actually approach a character and approach a style that was a bit uh, elevated um, and not just your typical kind of like suave realism. As a horror fan, I would say horror comedy is one of the hardest things to pull Mm -hmm. off as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. You're either going to nail it or you're going to really screw it up. And with Slacks, uh, they nailed it. Um, yeah. What do you attribute its success to? Well, I think the concept was one that was already kind of, well, it was already a bit out there, right? And mm-hmm. so I think if you're already asking people to come to a film with this premise, like you're expecting them to come with a certain, I don't know, well, enthusiasm, we'll say, right? No one's going into this going like too seriously. Like, well, I want to see a serious film about some real pants that are actually, you know, it's not it's not like that. So you already have to have kind of a uh, uh, an openness in mind in terms of the film you're going to see. But I think the fact that it was rooted um, in this kind of bizarre concept, but also... Also, you know, we we have hints and uh, and little whispers of, of of speaking to actual conflicts within fast fashion, within the environmental uh, issues and ethical issues that uh, that surround the film. Uh, so it had kind of a foundation there. And then also, I have to say, I mean, the thing that kind of that kind of um, hooked me off the bat was the fact that we were going to do everything with practical effects. Mm. When they told me that things were being like all the pants, the pants, everything is going to be done through practical effects. I was like, okay, I'm in. Like, say no more. 
because that speaks to me like I one of my favorites favorite favorites is uh, John Carpenter's The Thing mm -hmm. and what stands out and what makes that film so amazing even to this day and, and it's still you know it's still legit to this day is these amazing practical effects where you don't you don't see the CGI dated in a certain way. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, it was a movie when it came out in the eighties was ahead of its time, and still today mm. it just never gets old. Oh. Like you just mentioned, there is a lot of social commentary in Slacks, mm. uh, child labor, mm. uh, basically all the 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 BS that the company CCC is putting out there, mm -hmm. you know, you know, bringing you tomorrow today, uh, no sweatshops, no yeah. child labor. And we find out it's all BS, mm -hmm. and they're doing what everyone else is doing. And do you like the social commentary? It touching on real life issues and blending oh, it into a horror satire film. Absolutely. I mean, it's the best. It's almost the best way to kind of talk about some of these issues you know because if we went if, if it was just a straight-up documentary about the the ethical horrors of fashion then you know i mean it would it would achieve a certain goal it would reach certain people that wanted to really sit through a serious topic but i think one of the best ways to actually put the lens on something is to do it in a satirical manner or to do it in a way that has a little comedy in it so people are kind of their guard is uh, is lowered a little bit and they can kind of see the issue while enjoying themselves in a movie so it becomes an experience about many things it's the enjoyment of the movie and also this thing kind of lands and makes them think twice or makes them think a little a little deeper uh, about the issues at hand and um, I don't know it just kind of allows yeah. that it allows that question to kind of penetrate further than I think it would uh, if it was just, well, you know, a straight-up documentary. Exactly. And just moving forward to the end of the film, it surprised me. Uh, watching mm. the whole film, I expected Libby, who, you know, was played by, uh, I got her name right here, Romaine Dennis, who did a brilliant job at playing mm -hmm. uh, Libby. Mm -hmm. uh, the way the movie ended... It was not a happy ending, uh, no. like you would kind of expect maybe from a satire horror film. Uh, the ending was very, oh my God, what's going to happen now? Everyone is dead. We see a massacre ensue inside the store. Mm -hmm. Did you? I liked it uh, because it totally threw me off from what I was expecting. Did you like how the 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 film ended? Yeah, I mean, I I, I mean, for me, I love films that don't that don't quite resolve, you know, mm -hmm. or that leave us a little bit, I'll say unsatisfied in a way, but not like dissatisfied. Exactly. You know, of course we kind of want, we were always kind of geared towards the protagonist of the film, you know, coming out on top and resolving the issue. But, you know, it, it just speaks to that this issue, regardless of what happens in the store, um, it's being replicated by company after company after company after company. So there's really no, there's no like finite moment where it yeah. can kind of come to a closure. So what we need is just more pants on the rampage and <laughs> <laughs> and more death, I suppose. So let's go back to the start of this project. How did this role come your way? How did the audition process work out? Yeah, it was really, um, I think it was in late January or something like that. And that's usually the time where, you know, the the old uh, the old forms of the pilot season which just doesn't really exist anymore but that's normally the time when things kick up and all the network tvs and a lot of things is they're looking for what they're going to do for the next year um so it's usually a busy time and then this this just came through my agency you know with a bit of a uh, raised eyebrow i'll say they were kind of like what do you think of this and you know as i said like reading the synopsis it was one of two things it was like this is going to be amazing or this is going to be a real piece of shit like it's uh, yeah, yeah. um but you know what i started reading it and i was like okay that's funny oh that's cool oh that's interesting oh i see where they're going at oh that's surprising uh and it was just it kind of kept developing in a way that I that was surprising to me. And, you know, usually when you get something like this, you get a few pages in and you get a sense of what it's going to be and where it's going to go. Uh, but this was so off the wall. Like, I had really no idea how it was going to end, uh, to your point before, or, um, or what they were trying to do with it until I kind of had a, a bigger picture of it all. Um, so it was real... And it was just so different that it was really, really refreshing in that sense. 
And uh, was it a single audition? Was it a tape? Did you uh, have to come yeah. back for a callback? Oh, so, yeah, so we, um, it was a tape originally. I got a friend of mine. We, uh, we did it in my house, and we just kind of like, again, one of the beauties of it is that it really kind of, it allowed a real freedom. Like what I was saying before about it being kind of a, a heightened material or a, a heightened situation. You know, it's not just going for the straight up realism. Mm -hmm. um, it allowed me to kind of go like, well, shit, I'm going to I'm gonna just go for something here. So uh, I think I went to like what you saw in the movie was probably a little bit less than what I did on, in the audition. Like I really like went out there for a, for a version of Craig that we kind of honed in. But um that's hard to there. imagine. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I can't remember what I did. I think I like started with him just doing a big line of coke or something like that. And it was, <laughs> that's where the B two B cast came from, uh, which kind of makes sense. But, the, but we went a different way, obviously. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, I you know I I sent this thing off and I was like, well, we'll see what happens. And then uh, Elsa, the director and writer, and and Patricia, her, the co writer and the the producer, they they saw it and they called me in and we just. We had a big conversation about it. We kind of did a few scenes again. Um, and then I was like, they were like, well, we want to do this. And I was like, well, I want to do this. So That's let's great. make it happen. Now, when you got the role and, uh, you know, you said your audition, you took Craig to a way wacky level than what we actually saw on the screen. Was it a conversation between you and the director on how uh, you guys wanted Craig to be portrayed in this movie? Was it a yeah. collaboration? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. From day one. Um, Elsa was great in that matter. Um, you know, because it was her first um, feature with a real, real full cast of uh, professional actors. So um, she was quite open in terms of, of, of that being a new experience for her. Um, so nothing was taken for granted. Like we, we had conversations at length about kind of the progression. And it was tricky for for Craig, because we had to kind of see him go from this this anal go-getter trying to climb the corporate ladder to someone that eventually is going to murder someone to, you know, wherever else he goes. Uh, it's it's quite a, a journey. for So it was important for me and for her to kind of, you know, mark these steps so it's plausible. Say like, okay, yeah. so how, how does he get here exactly? And then how does he get from there to, to there? Because we have to make it, it can't just be, if it's too ridiculous, then it's too ridiculous and no one buys it and then no one's really interested. And then I'm not really interested. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Now, if you were to describe Craig and what got you in the mindset to portray him, do you see him as this overly ambitious store manager? Do you see him somebody that might be a few apples short of a fruit basket? <laughs> uh, is he, uh, has just been in this for too long yeah. That he's just completely lost his way. Yeah. You know what, though? I was trying, like, from the get-go, I really tried to find, I, I was really sympathetic with Craig. Or I had to, had to, I had to find a certain sympathy uh, for Craig. And, and really, um, I mean, kind of a way in for things for me anyway is psychological. Like, I kind of have to find what is driving this and why someone is, um, is going to do the things they're going to do. Um, so by the end of it, like I loved him, I, I, I loved playing and I loved finding these reasons why he goes to this next step. And I think ultimately like he's, he's just like in his mind, an undervalued person and he doesn't have these kind of personal connections that, uh, that really give him any fulfillment or really give him any, any reason to be. So it all kind of channels towards this work environment and yeah. this this play, placement with Harold Lansgrove and yeah now uh, Craig throughout the majority of the movie is you don't hate him you kind of sympathize with him mm -hmm. that all turns when uh, Shruti and Libby are talking to Karat the possessed mm -hmm. jeans out in the mm -hmm. hallway and mm. you come out with the fire extinguisher. Yeah. It is at that moment that you become the bad guy. Uh, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because for me, that's the moment where he's really hedging his bets and going, okay, so what is he going to do to kind of, what is he doing to be a good person uh, in terms of him, his state and, the, and these two women that he's with? And what is he going to do to ultimately protect the company? Yeah. 
and ultimately, Craig uh, goes the way of spoiler alert. He goes the way of uh, protecting the company, and he goes the way of uh, you know Jack Nicholson in The Shining chasing yeah, exactly. his family. You which are... was like, I mean, uh, I don't want to cut you off, but it was like for me. Uh, you know, just a, a a ball, a ball to play. I uh-huh. mean, that. I mean, it's always fun to play the bad guy, and it's always fun to play. Um, again, to to align the psychology towards what's what makes someone go to that extent. Exactly, and I find that really interesting. And uh, you know, this movie is a satire, like we discussed earlier. Everything is taken to an extreme level. To the social media personality, uh, mm-hmm. how that's portrayed to the store. To where you and Libby discover the first body in the bathroom, you're yeah. like, "It's okay, you know." I, what, know. I mean, what are, you, what are the cops gonna do? You know, a murderer, yeah. unless you want to, you know, you know, trying to play it off as suicide. And Libby is looking at you and like, "What is wrong with this guy?" And yeah. then the second body pops up, and you know, Libby's like, "Okay, that's enough." Uh, and then you're like, you know what? That's right. I'll go to Randy. And then you bump her, bonk her over the head. Yeah. Knock her out. <laughs> um, as you're reading this script uh, and you're actually playing out these roles on the screen, uh, is there any, uh, what's the right word? Like past movies, TV shows, like SNL skits that you try to draw inspiration oh, from? That's interesting. That's a good question. That's a really good question. God, because um, SNL is like the king of satire, you know. Yeah, I mean, shows similar to that, you know, Or did you just not even think about that and just go within yourself and do it your way? Oh wow, that's a really good question. I think there. I mean, for sure, there's a bit of Michael Scott in there. Like, <laughs> like there has to be. Yeah, that kind of presence. That uh, you know, that it's the presence that's trying to. They're obviously the boss, and they want to be the boss and be respected as a boss. But they're also trying to be chummy and 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 be part of the gang. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> for it's sure. a hard question. I understand. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, it's been it's been a while too. So you know, there it might have been a little bit more present in my mind uh, closer to the shoot. But uh, right now, I can't I can't say specifically anyone like in mind that I was like really really basing it on. But, okay. Uh, Okay, that's fair enough. What do you find most intriguing about your character in Slacks? Uh, I think his I think his desire to to do good because even when he's doing bad, it's it's in his mind that it's for the greater good. You okay, know, yeah. that it's for the company. Um, it's always this attempt to. Uh, do what's best for the situation uh, as he sees it um, and which forces him to then, you know, do these heinous things like knock Libby out with a leg of a mannequin or, you know, to the ultimate extreme of, of killing a murderer. His, his enemy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what was really fun, I think, and what was really interesting was, was playing someone constantly trying to like get a hold of the situation, maintain a grasp of the situation. Um, I, that scene in the bathroom when I'm like, well, and I'm saying like, oh, she always had body issues, but uh, I never thought it would come to this. Um, it's my favorite scene of the film, like hands down. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the nonchalant way that you're like, oh, it's okay. And uh, that's yeah. what made it hysterical. And kudos yeah. to you for pulling that off so well. Yeah, at, at the end of the movie in the credits, I love how they give us a glimpse into the practical effects of how they did the dancing jeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you there to witness? I mean, obviously you were there with the hallway and the jeans on the mannequin, so you got to see the people with the green screen around mm-hmm. them and stuff. Were you there during the filming of the dancing scene of the dancing jeans with the person? Oh, yeah. What'd you oh, think but... of that? That was ingenious. Oh. No, no, no. That's, again, like, when, when I say, like, what hooked me for this film was the fact that they were doing the jeans as practical effects like that. That was it. Everything that they did. And it's, it's done so well that there's points where I go, Ooh, even watching the film, I'm like, Ooh, was that a practical effect or was that complete CGI? But no, it was all puppeteers. I was wearing surprised. green screen. Yeah. All, they were always wearing a little green Zorb suit kind of things. If you know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, they would polish up the the background with some CGI, but all the movement of the jeans was all 
uh, all through practical effects. So it's all, it was either one or two or three people at times manip manipulating these genes as they're flying through the air. One of the craziest thing, um, when they, um, when we kill the, um, the, uh, the Instagram star, the influencer yeah, and the genes kind of come up from behind and then twist around her neck and wrap up tight. Mm -hmm. They did that live. Like they, they had the two legs on a stick so they could spin it. So it would, it would spool up really quick and tighten around her neck. Like it was really, really, really impressive. Wow. Yeah. We did stunt rehearsals with, uh, the puppeteers and how they were going to manipulate the genes. For instance, for my death, um, when the genes kind of drop kick me, um, you know, we had a, a day of rehearsals for that and then trying to figure out the timing of, because they had to have two guys lift the woman who was controlling the genes. So she had to kind of run with the genes and then these two guys lifted her so she could then lift up the genes and kind of fly through the air. It was just, yeah, it was wild. That was must fantastic. have been wild did an amazing job. to watch. And it just goes to show you with some ingenuity and creativity, anything is possible. Now, when I went and uh, watched this film for the first time, I was under the impression that these genes were going to be like demonically possessed. Which mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, you know, instead of a person, this is a comedy. They're taking a mm -hmm. twist. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that they made uh, it a real person. And mm -hmm. that moment in the hallway when Libby, Shruti are interacting with the genes, who we come to know is Karat, a 13-year-old mm -hmm. girl, I think is very uh, powerful. Uh, looking in hindsight, of course, you, didn't, you did not write this film. Do you think it played better? keeping it a real person instead of making it a demon type entity that possessed these blue genes? Yeah, I think, you know, if I can speak as like for myself as an audience member, like yeah, with fan. movies I watch or as a fan, exactly. Exactly. It's like, it's always deeper. Like you would correspond deeper to something where you can actually see a, a plausible reason. You know what I mean? If it's just a monster on a rampage, then we kind of understand, oh, it's a monster on a rampage. And it could be scary, but it doesn't really it doesn't really go anywhere else. Like it doesn't evolve to anything else than than that. And it's if that's the case, then it's easy to lose interest. Or it's yeah. easy to go, Oh, I understand it. What's next? Yeah. Um, yeah. It I falls think into this, the cliches that we've seen a thousand yeah, times. Yeah, exactly. Before. Exactly. And it just I mean, it would have, I think if that would have been the case for this film, it would have been a fun film and it would have been enjoyable, but I don't think it would have had as lasting of a presence because it didn't, it wouldn't have required you as the watcher to really think beyond it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so by placing the spirit of, of the pants in, uh, in Kirat, this, this 13 year old girl, I mean, we get, um, it just opens up the whole conversation uh, about the real world scenario, about child labor and about, I think one of my favorite lines was Shruti's when she goes, well, how do you think, you know, they can make a pair of jeans for $10? For $5 and sell them for 150 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, the fact that, you know, which is, you know, not necessarily untrue no. when you think of like a thing, a product you can have could be made across the world and then shipped to you and you can buy it for $15. Like how does... How do the economics of that make any sense at all? Exactly. exactly. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, it just it just puts the film, it, it, it adds a complete different level to the film, and I think uh, they're really smart to have done it. I love how this film uh, gives us uh, fresh faces that we haven't mm -hmm. seen a lot of, you know, like Romaine and Sahar, who played Shruti. How mm -hmm. did you guys all get along on the set? Did you find, like, an instant oh. chemistry where you guys really having a blast behind the scenes yeah you know it's funny um zahar and i actually went to school together really um, yeah we went to a theater school in montreal together um so there was already an instant uh you know a, a, a well-established chemistry there and uh yeah i think everyone i mean no one i i mean i have no place for egos uh i have no patience for them um so that's just not how yeah. uh, what I look to or what I expect to see when working. And I, you know, anytime someone arrives with something like that, even if they are someone that's quite established, it's like, come on, no. we're all here to do something. And if you're not here to do that, then just get lost. Exactly. Um, so it was real easy. And, you know, I think it's, 
when it's when it's something like this, when it's a you know what the what the film was, what it required, what was it, what it was about. It kind of takes everyone to go, okay. So on what level are we doing this? So it actually actually it actually requires a real kind of collective effort because everyone kind of has to get on the same page in terms of how we're playing this, um, like how we're playing it up, and um, how do we keep the tone consist consistent and. And all of that. So I think it was really, and it was well managed by by Elsa and uh, and Marie Jalinas, who's uh, one of the producers who I'd worked with before on another film. Um, yeah, everyone was really great at being being pretty open and being pretty pretty awesome. uh, gung ho about being there. Awesome. How long did shooting take from start to finish? God, I think it was. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was three weeks. We did the whole thing in three weeks. It was three weeks in. Three locations. Okay, that's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty good. You've been in a couple of other horror films. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it? What's the difference being in a in a comedy satire, uh, you know, horror film as opposed to an actual serious other type subgenre in the horror realm? Is there any yeah. difference? Is it all the same? Is it more lighthearted? Do you have to go into a different frame of mind? to pull off the comedy aspect along yeah, as I opposed think so. to the scare? No, I think so. I think, you know, horror is tough. It's, it's, it's tough because you really have to collectively create that tone, right? And maintain that tone. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if it's, if it falls short in one performance uh, or somewhere, it can kind of like really be a chink in the armor for the whole thing. Um, but I think what's important, what was important for us was really, because you don't want to lean too heavy into the satire or too heavy into the comedy. Otherwise, it gets just a bit too ridiculous. And we mm -hmm. still want those like surprise moments. We still want those fright moments, uh, even if they are colored a, li a little bit with the, the ridiculousness. But, um, yeah, I think it's just kind of it's, – it's putting the work in to really establish that tone yeah. and to really establish how big do we go. Because, you know, as I said in my edition where I went a little bigger with Craig, if you can believe – um, you know, if we don't have the reins on that kind of thing and everyone is just going, uh, to what they see fit, it's, uh, it'll just create inconsistency and then we don't have a cohesive, uh, world. Yeah. And if we don't have that, then the audience doesn't have that. And then we've lost the film. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, Craig has a kick ass demise in the yes. film. <laughs> he gets exactly what's coming to him. Uh, yeah, with the yeah. army of jeans, which I love, that line up in formation and mm. they surround you on all fronts, and you're you're done, you're done. Uh, how was it shooting that? Uh, and what did you think of how Craig's demise went? I mean, did you like it as a fan, and what was it like shooting it? I mean, would I have liked Craig to survive? Yeah, certainly. Um, do I think he got what he deserved? Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, how else do you want to go out other than being exactly just kind of flooded by this army of pants that gnaw you to the bone? What I really wanted, and uh, we couldn't get it, was there's a lot of moments where I'm speaking on um, on a comm system, yeah. so I'm always like putting my finger to my ear. And I was really hoping that they, when they revealed to see my kind of bloodied and picked at skeleton, that that calm was left right by the side of my skull. But it didn't happen in the end. I mean, they, those jeans skinned you. That's an understatement. Uh, they, yeah. I, you, you definitely went out. You know, I've spoken to a lot of people who have suffered horror movie deaths. And one thing that they always ask the director is if you're going to kill me, make sure I get a worthy death and i think craig yeah. definitely got a memorable uh death to uh remember him by another aspect i've had some good ones i've had some good ones i've had another one where i got uh, in another film i got my throat slit and we had to do the whole um we had the whole like blood pipe coming up my chest yeah. and this prosthetic throat thing and it was just like oozing blood uh so i've had a couple good deaths but like you know being Nod to the bone by uh, an army of pants that probably, I don't know if I'll ever top that. Like, what can I, no, I, what can I, I do? To I, I can't see that. And what I love about this movie that I think is absolutely hysterical that you've never seen in any horror movie before is 
these genes really know how to clean up after themselves. They don't yeah. even leave a spot of blood yeah. anywhere. I found that hysterical. Uh, I, lo- I mean, that just made me crack up. Uh, now, um, going back, how do you feel? Uh, would you classify yourself as a horror fan? Uh, do you like the genre? I'm not talking about acting and then as a fan. Do you like horror or is it okay with you? What are your feelings on the overall horror genre? Yeah, you know what? I'm like, I'm not big into like the like gore, gore, gore type horror, blood and guts kind of thing. But like for a film to effectively, like I have nothing but respect for a film that effectively scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, looks like, oh, there I am back. Am I back? Oh yeah, we got you. Oh, you got me? Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Like if I, if I can kind of buy in and, 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 and really be freaked out, like that is, that is nothing but respect. Um, so like thriller kind of horrors, like I'm, I'm, that's, that's right up my alley. Me too. Me too. Blood, guts and gore doesn't impress me. It's not scary to me, but something that is deep in character and storyline uh, that actually also scares you at the same time. That's what mm-hmm. I love. That's what I love as a mm-hmm. horror fan. Now, um, again, what uh, going back to the ending and how it ended with Libby, uh, do you think it was left intentionally that way for maybe the possibility of this franchise continuing? And while actually uh, turning into a franchise, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think uh, I think what they were trying to do was just put it out there in terms of like we kind of what we discussed before. Like, there's no, there would be no real like appropriate closure point because yeah. the problem is bigger than this just than this one store or this one company, right? Um, but I mean, I would love, I would love to see more of uh, Kirat uh, taking her revenge and uh, yeah. and going to different franchises and, and 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 just the story expanding. I mean, I, I'd be happy with that. And that's where the surprise for me came, where the ending surprised me, which is something really good as a person who's watched a lot of movies, horror movies yep. in particular. You expect it to go, okay, Libby's going to talk Kirat down. Yep. They're going to detached themselves from the genes they got their justice they got their voices heard but it went completely another way and these genes now are looking for beyond justice they're out to revenge yeah uh, to avenge themselves um how do you feel about that concept i i love it i think it totally threw me off for a loop yeah i mean i it's nothing but fun for me. I mean, to to imagine these genes continuing their rampage, linked to going to other CC store, CCC stores and recruiting more uh, of the super shapers. That's the thing. Um, you know, we were the flagship store in our region, we could say. Yeah. But uh, plausibly, there's a lot more of these genes out there. There's a lot more of, um, we'll say, Kirat's blood uh, infused with this genetically modified yeah. uh, cotton, which was another thing that we haven't touched upon, which I think was brilliant in terms of the facade of this company being super ethical, super conscious, uh, only using organic materials, not having any child labor. But then, you know, it, it turns out they're using this, the, this, GMOs, this yeah. yeah, this, this specific GMO and her blood infuses with this GMO, which causes this kind of creature to be, uh, I thought that was really, really, uh, really smart, really fun, really unique. Now let's go back yeah. to, uh, let's go to you, your, the start of your career. Uh, your credits go back into like the mid two thousands. How did you get started in acting? How, at what age did you realize you wanted to be an actor and how did it all come together for you? Mm. Uh, well, I wanted to play in the NBA. Like I was a huge basketball fan. That was like my goal growing up and, uh, didn't happen obviously, uh, (laughs) for, for many reasons. Um, well, you know, like I, 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 I was really big into sports as a kid. And then when that was not looking like it was going to turn out, I, I joined an improv team and, you know, I, then I went to university and I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. 
Um, but one of my theater, one of the courses that I took was this theater course, and it became the course where I, I put all of my interest in. And then that translated to going to a um, from university to a, a conservatory uh, in Montreal, uh, where I had another three year program to kind of delve further into it. Um, I don't know. It was like it was when I was growing up. Like I, I loved movies. I loved TV. I loved SNL. I loved characters. And I loved mm-hmm. kind of the, the storytelling element. Yeah. My dad's a big storyteller. But it never seemed like something that I could do. Like it never seemed like a vocate, like a job that yeah. someone could do. It was like this thing that some people do in Hollywood, and you know, that's just they got there somehow, and that's what they do. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was never like an uh, an avenue to pursue. Uh, until yeah, I I kind of got into it, and you know, I found some success, and um, it became this thing where I was like, okay, this is this is really interesting to me, and I want to keep pursuing this and after I went to this conservatory school um, I kind of got out and started the business and started you know getting little parts here and there and doing a lot of theater like I always um, I, the, the school I went to was a theater school and it was always a big part of my development and you know I still do theater every now and then and so it was always my the early stages of my career was always dotted with some theater stuff um, some small film and TV stuff, uh, and then it kind of just the ball kept rolling, and opportunities came. And now, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You said no, no. Uh, Canada is, uh, we all know, is a huge filming spot. You know, a lot of American mm-hmm. studios actors mm-hmm. come up there. Uh, you are Canadian, right? I am Canadian. Yeah. So, how how do you feel? Uh, because I've spoken to a lot of people that are Canadian and they're being cast in roles filmed in Canada, which I think is very appropriate. Uh, what do you think has changed over the last five to 10 years and what new opportunities have been created for Canadians in the motion picture industry? Well, I think, um, I think more and more you're seeing, like you say, because of um, it's cheaper to film in Canada and you've got, cities like Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal and Winnipeg that have big kind of uh, um, big infrastructures to, to be able to handle a lot of filming. Yeah. Um, a, it's proving that there's a lot of talent up here. There's a lot of talent in all fields, not just acting, but like oh, yeah. in all in all realms. But the problem with Canada, and I'll be quite candid, is that we're always kind of there's there's a a real little little brother syndrome that happens north of the border Mm. a because the industry is inundated with all of these american projects that take all the film crews and you know employ a lot of people and it's great it creates a real strong kind of consistent industry but what it takes away from is a certain insistence for uh, Canadians to create and write and direct and produce films here that are then going to be seen and distributed. Mm. Like I said before, it's like it's great to make a Canadian indie, but you're going to have a hell of a time getting that Canadian indie into theaters with it's, any it's real seriousness. Distribution is the problem. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, and we have major film festivals in TIFF. Uh, in, in in the things that happened in Vancouver, in the Fantasia Festival in Montreal, so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, it's weird. There's a lot of presence, but in terms of the Canadian influence on that presence, it's 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 not as it's not as strong because it's really kind of the Canadian uh, experience is kind of spread thin around yeah. all of these different projects that are coming from elsewhere. And again, as I say, it's important to have, but it kind of takes away from our ability to kind of create a strong industry of our own. Um, because A, so that's all on the creation part, and then B, it's hard kind of reigning in an audience to come see these Canadian films when, you know, yeah, everyone has all the opportunity to see not only just all the big films from Hollywood, but all the stuff from the UK, all of the films from the English-speaking world. Um, that kind of come into the market. So we're constantly at battle with uh, uh, a lot of these much the US, bigger... US, basically. Yeah, exactly. Does that... Do you see that making a lot of Canadian talent actually come to uh, like Los Angeles, New York, mm-hmm. Atlanta, mm-hmm. which are totally. big 
for just to get the recognition that they're not for sure. Yeah, I mean, look at look at look at some of our our, our biggest directors. Yeah, and of course they've they've had successes here, but they haven't had the successes that they deem uh, high enough until they go elsewhere. And there's a really kind of weird thing for actors that there's kind of like an undue clout that arrives when you go and live and start doing things in LA a little bit, even if you don't necessarily progress in terms of like the roles that you're getting, the fact that you're in LA, it kind of makes you look more attractive in terms of, um, in terms of, uh, it's perception, casting size on exactly in terms of the, the casting directors and what's happening in Canada, they say, Ooh, this person's down in LA. Wow. They, they must be, they must be really developing or they're, uh, they're more important. So we'll, we'll take them over a, an actor in Toronto, even mm-hmm. though they might have the same capability and same career. But it's also like, I mean, I don't want to like, I'm getting really into the minutiae here, but no, 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 I think Quebec, it's fascinating. Quebec is also a different thing. Um, because Quebec of course is a French speaking province. Um, and in order to kind of advocate for their culture and, and, and to, to protect their culture, their arts institutions, um, their, um, Film uh, institutions, and I'm talking about like funding institutions, uh, are much greater than what you see in the rest of the Canada because it's much more spread out. If yeah. you think of like a funding body, which is the Canadian Council for the Arts, it has to take care of all of Canada. You have as important of a body in Quebec, but it's solely responsible for Quebec. I mean, it's no as, and it's because of this why you see such a strong uh, cinema scene coming out of Quebec mm-hmm. and why you see some of the most rena- renowned directors that are now going and making moves in, in LA and elsewhere, yeah. they're, uh, they're French Canadians. Um, One of the biggest surprises that I have found since I've started doing this show now 16 months is how like the majority of Hollywood, inc- that includes all of motion picture arts, entertainment, mm-hmm. 90% of it is really... Uh, perception and how important oh. perception is uh, oh, the sure. image you portray that is something that uh, when I started this I was just a regular fan and now I know that perception is a big key how do you where what address are you coming from like you said yeah. are you in LA uh, uh, everybody knows I live in Northern Virginia but I'm originally from New York if I'm connecting with somebody in the industry I tell mm-hmm. them I'm from New York, of course. because if I say I'm from I'm living in the D.C. suburbs of Washington D.C., it's not going to have the same effect. No, exactly. Now, as uh, are you seeing anything being done to change that in Canada? Any efforts or anything? Yeah, I mean, again. There's always an effort. There's always an effort to kind of put the spotlight more on Canadian productions. But, you know, as much as like arts councils and government institutions are like, hey, support Canadian stuff, the cinemas are privately owned. They're going to make the decisions that make them money. Uh, Until the money comes around behind it, it's going Mm -hmm. to be hard. Um, But then you have like companies like New Metric Media who do – who do things like Letterkenny, which is a huge, huge international success, but it's yeah. filmed in this small town, and it's 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 Canadian, it's purebred Canadian talent and storytelling and all of that, and doing quite well. So I think, you know, with online platforms like Netflix and Crave mm-hmm. and all of these things, it kind of gives, um, it, it it gives different outlets for Canadian talent and for Canadian creations to to find an audience that's separate from the traditional kind of cinema practice yeah. or the cinema system which is quite closed okay now have yeah. you ever considered like moving to la or new york to further your career uh yeah yeah um i was in it like i've been in la a few times for premieres and things like that um and it's kind of funny it's like one of these it, it, there's always seems to be so slacks was actually a thing that interrupted one of my trips down to to la I was like, okay, I'm going to go this year. And then I got this film right off the bat. So I was like, okay, well, I'll stay in Canada and film, do this film. And then the other projects arrived. And then I had some theater uh, uh, commitments that I was already uh, aligned with. And I mean, it's interesting now. It's not necessarily the same world, you know, no. with what we can. I mean, look at us right now. The fact that we can do no. this, the fact that casting sessions are like this, it's not necessarily as important to be in a specific city. 
other than like what I had mentioned before about this yeah. this this undue clout that comes with it. And but, uh, it's very evident. Hollywood has changed. Uh, mm-hmm. COVID sped up a path that uh, the industry was on. COVID uh, sped that up uh, tremendously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see all these studios, distribution companies, trying everything and anything to see what the new model is going to be. What is yeah. going to be the, the wave of the future? What is going to work? Everything has changed. The book, uh, from marketing down to public relations, everything has to be rewritten in this new world that we're living in. We're still in COVID. COVID is, again, back on the rise again. It's like a nightmare that won't end. And uh, this industry in particular is trying to find the model that they're going to use moving forward. How Mm -hmm. do you feel as an actor, uh, you know, what what do you think is going to end up happening? I predict that there's going to be a lot of mergers because of all the streaming different all the different streaming platforms. Everything moving yeah. from theaters to home and streaming, and every major studio having their own streaming platform. I predict there's going to have to be some mergers because people are not going to sign up for twenty different streaming services to want no. to watch what they want to watch. How do you see that unfolding? It's kind of weird. I mean, the 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 positive aspect of it is that people, you know, if you if you subscribe to said whatever, you have access to a lot of things um, and a lot of uh, a lot of different kinds of stories and a lot of storytelling from from all over the planet. Yeah. But then you get these kind of monoliths. Uh, like I think I don't know if it was last year, or the year before. I think Disney was responsible for what like. 80% yeah. of all tickets sold at a box office like, mm-hmm. and that's that's crazy because yeah. it, it creates it creates an unprecedented amount of influence mm-hmm. you know as much as we think of like the golden days of Hollywood whatever three or four studios that were doing everything mm-hmm. um, now we're kind of back around that kind of thing even though it looks like we've got all this choice um, and I think that also I don't know there's there's two ways to look at it it can be if these said companies are really um really open about developing their in I'll speak to independent cinema mm-hmm. uh, for this because you know big blockbusters are going to be big blockbusters they're always going to be controlled yeah. by the big companies but independent cinema um, I think there's a there's there's a um, an avenue where this goes where these companies are, re- are much more um, uh, much more excited and ready to accept a lot of different independent companies in terms of what they're producing, support them, and then give them a platform in terms of distribution. Yeah. Or uh, it's going to be harder for independent companies to exist mm. if they're not under the moniker of, say, Marvel or, say... And that would suck. That would really suck because, you know, and that's what we kind of lose when we lose the art house cinemas as well, you know? Mm-hmm. The the repertoire cinemas where you, you get a chance. Like, I mean, even Slacks, it played across... It played across Canada, um, but it, it played in a collection of some bigger movie houses and some smaller movie houses. Yeah. And if those smaller movie houses weren't ready to accept it, then it just it wouldn't have had an audience at all. Wow. And it's really, yeah. you know, it's really sad. It, it kind of it's 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 a certain death to a certain independent filmmaking. I mean, I'm yeah. a big supporter of independent films, and uh, I hope that never happens. Now. Uh, in regards to your career, what are you currently working on? What's in store for you? Uh, right now, I've got, uh, I think coming up Thursday, there's a show up in Canada called uh, Private Eyes. That's a, I have a new episode coming out on. Um, being in Quebec, uh, I've started working in uh, on some French stuff. You know, I don't speak French as a, it's not my native language, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I've learned it over the years. <laughs> and uh, some some opportunities have come, so uh so we're going to be doing a second season of a show called Potre Robot uh, coming next year. Um, you know, I've done a uh, with the you know with the pandemic, it, it kind of altered everything. Yeah, everything uh, is now audition tapes and stuff. Yeah, and uh, some projects that were supposed to be didn't be, uh, and some others kept going. So I was fortunate in that sense. Um, I'll be on some video games coming up as well, doing some voice work, and uh, nice. yeah, just nice. uh, looking for the next thing. That's awesome. Brett, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. And it was a fascinating conversation to hear, get your insights on the movie. 
which guys, if you have not watched it yet, Slacks, S-L-A-X-X, uh, it's available on, Sh- let's let everybody know where it's available. It's available for streaming on Shutter, mm-hmm. and it's available for rent or purchase on all the major uh, Vudu, um, yeah, Amazon, everywhere. Yeah, Guys, Apple. check out I- Slacks. It's funny. It hits on a lot of very real social issues that are relevant today. Um, the satire is just hysterical. The acting is brilliant. The story is brilliant. And just watch it. You will. It will be the funnest 80 minutes you've had in a while. <laughs> yeah. Brett, thank you so much for coming on our show. Any final thoughts you want to share? Uh, no, just what you say. Um, if you can find it, go check out Slacks. It's a real, um, it's a real gem for me. It was a real gem of an opportunity, and I, I love the film. So, I'm just excited for more people to see it. And uh, thank you guys, Dead Talk Live, and you, John, Absolutely. for inviting me. And uh, it's having our this pleasure. Great conversation. It's our pleasure. And remember what I said in the beginning: Slacks is still just uh, barely. I mean, just over a year old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guarantee you, this movie. Uh, to compare it to another horror, let's say Shaun of the Dead. Uh, yeah. You see how big the following for Shaun of the Dead has happened mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. I always tell people that a movie uh, does not cement itself on opening weekend. Time, yeah. history is the judge of where a movie's going to end up with. Uh, you mentioned The Thing earlier. The Thing, yeah. when it came out, it got shredded to pieces by critics. Yeah. They yeah, hated it. Yeah. They hated it. And fans were not too happy with it. Now look where it stands. Exactly. Exactly. So I think Slacks. Called classics. Yep. Yeah, Slacks is going to, I think it's going to keep creating a big, it's going to get a nice cult following. So. Well, I hope so. Brett, thank you so much. I want to thank all of our audience who's tuned in tonight. We'll be back again tomorrow. On behalf of Brett Donahue and myself, stay safe and stay walking. Good night.